0: When a man walked past me he told me to cheer up and then I reacted differently to it. For the first time in my life, you should be able to just brushed off and gone about my day and been like, oh, that's so annoying. Why does that happen? But what are you gonna do about it? Because I felt, you know, angry, self-conscious, guilty for like not looking happy, which is a really strange one to feel in that moment. And this person had just walked off, gone on about their day and forgotten about the whole thing in about three seconds. And here I am, six years later, still talking about it.
1: In today's episode, we talk to artist and activist Eliza Hatch who is the founder of Cheer Up Love, a community I have been following for years because it hosts raw, honest, and deeply necessary conversations about sexual harassment and gender inequality. In this conversation, Eliza and I talk about how widespread all of these problems are, how part of everything they are, how to talk to the men in your life about it, how to get them to listen, and how we can use art as a tool for change and hope in the world. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. So to get us started, we don't like to define people. We let people define themselves. So how would you like to introduce yourself? Amazing. Um, my name is Eliza Hatch. I'm a photographer and activist and founder of the feminist platform Cheer Up Love. I love Cheer Up Love, which is a big reason we wanted to talk to you. But for people who don't know Cheer Up Love, Could you tell us what it is?
0: The Cheer Up Love is a photo series that I began in 2017 documenting
1: um, women in marginalized genders' experiences of sexual harassment in public. And how did you get started with it? Where did it grow out of? Was it your experiences as a photographer? Was it your own experiences as a human in this world? When a man walked past me in the street in early
0: 2017 and told me to cheer up I'm sure it's a phrase that many people can relate to, whether it's smile or you look so much prettier if you give us a smile, love, cheer up. I'd heard every single iteration and it also by far was not the worst form of harassment I'd ever experienced, just the tip of the iceberg. But it's I wanted to call it that because I wanted to show the vast scale of all of the things that a woman or marginalized person can experience in their day and being told to smile was just, Yeah.
1: The beginning of that. <laughs> and it doesn't have to be the worst thing, right? Like that's, I, I feel like that's part of it. At least I've encountered where if I complained to friends, certain friends of certain genders about, or certain identities about like, oh, I was walking down the street and someone told me to smile. Mm-hmm. And it's a sense of like, well, okay, it wasn't, it could have been so much worse. Why are you complaining about this? Yes. And I feel like that there's something so powerful in you claiming even that and saying, even this isn't okay, right? Like, it doesn't have to be the worst thing mm-hmm. for us to say something about it. It also doesn't really matter
0: about the intent of the perpetrator because if the effect from the victim or the effect from the person on the receiving end of that is negative or traumatised, then, you know, it's not, it's not going to be a, a complimentary or flattering experience.
1: We don't owe anyone our smiles, right? <laughs> That's the... No.
0: <laughs> Ultimately, no, we don't know anybody. Our smiles.
1: And I read somewhere that you, when when this happened in the, like, the genesis of the project, in your mind, you were talking to some friends who were men and yes. they didn't believe you. When
0: a man will pass me, he told me to cheer up. And then I reacted differently to it. For the first time in my life, you should be able to just brush off and go about my day and be like, oh, that's so annoying. Why does that happen? But what are you going to do about it? Why is that a phrase that men can get away with saying to women in the street? You know, why is that a phrase that is so common, commonly heard? I felt, you know, angry, self conscious, guilty for like not looking happy, which is a really strange one to feel <laughs> in that moment. And this person had just walked off, gone on about their day and forgotten about the whole thing in about three seconds. And here I am six years later still talking about it so it's just an example of how something that can be so throwaway away can actually really stay with you and impact you um but anyway so i was i was talking about this with some of my friends afterwards and i was just asking them if they'd had any similar experiences and just saying the most annoying things just happened to me this guy said this thing and you know why is this a thing that men do i don't understand and my friend said oh yeah well that happens to me all the time whether it's You know walking home or on the tube or the bus or you know one of my friends at the time was a nurse and she said that her patients on the ward would tell her to smile all the time and so in that moment i was just coming to terms with the fact that this was something that was actually experienced quite frequently and something that we didn't really talk about and this was before me too this was like pre harvey weinstein kind of pre any of the conversations that we have like so kind of casually now that we're just were not being had at all back then it was really taboo to even talk about this kind of thing and as we were talking about it some of my male friends interjected into the conversation and they were just like what are you talking about like we don't see this happening and we're not the ones doing it and you're you sound like you're overreacting and you're being a bit dramatic and these people are obviously just trying to give you a compliment and you're taking it the wrong way um you know there's just this is just a form of flattery like smile Cheer up! These are positive things. These are nice things. You're just taking it the wrong way, and that was the moment where I was, where I really did have this realization that the scale of the things that we were experiencing was was bad enough, but there was this complete and total lack of awareness surrounding the subject, and that's just when I decided I had to do something about it. And that really was the kind of the beginning point for Cheer Up Love.
1: Do you think it was not that it has to be just one thing? Do you think it was the to show men or to like show people who didn't experience it that it was happening. It was just this raw force of feeling like I had to
0: prove something to to men, and especially the men in my life that were like brothers to me, or my, my best friends, where I couldn't understand this, this disconnect of our lived experiences and the fact that something that me and my female friends had been experiencing since we were 12, 11, you know, 13 years old, and my male friends just having absolutely no idea about the extent of it whatsoever and what, so misinformed at the time to think that these things were actually compliments and we were just taking them the wrong way. You know, there was a, a bunch of experiences that I had leading up to that point that could have obviously informed the beginning of the project, but it was because it was so close to home. I just really, I just really wanted to prove them, prove them wrong. Yeah. So I'm not sure if that's like the best of intentions, the way that it comes about, just wanting to prove my male friends wrong, but that was the spark I, I kind of needed. Um, and Thankfully now, they feel very differently.
1: (laughs) Have you had conversations with the men in your life since about... Yeah,
0: many. (laughs) Many, many, many conversations since. And actually, it was the Me Too movement and the Harvey Weinstein scandal breaking that kind of got them to pay a bit more attention to the issue anyway, because it became not just this thing that our close circle of friends were speaking about, it was something that the world was speaking about, and everybody started to pay attention a bit more and I mean now they're like you know they my, my biggest fans biggest allies you know we're all you know they're in a much more informed and educated place which is amazing um, but it's just funny how different things were like five six years ago and we're still not there yet but it is a different climate for sure because it can ha- we can just we can have these conversations for a start
1: <laughs> it's wild how how big a difference it makes yeah the fact that other people are talking about her, it's like it's in the air, it's in like the cultural conversation. Yeah. I'm thinking about similar conversations I've had with my friends. Yeah. Through the last like five or six years even and how it's how it's shifted. Mm. Even like the little things if we were talking before we started recording of how we both lived in South London and yeah. the walk back to my flat from Brockwell Park, like I can track throughout the last like five or six years the different conversations I've had with men in my life about that walk of like, oh, I I'm gonna get the bus because I don't want to yeah. walk at night. Um, I this doesn't feel okay to me. Like I something feels off, or I know I'm not gonna walk down that street yeah. again because walking here, there was a guy it gave me a weird creepy. And it, for me at least, the conversations have shifted so much in the yeah. last few years, definitely
0: to a point where people are are actually kind of listening to your experience and there's s- slightly more of a survivor-led um, narrative than there used to be which was pretty much just victim blaming <laughs> don't get me wrong we are we are not out of the woods yet <laughs> yeah. still quite a lot of victim blaming that happens but just from having those kind of conversations with the people in my life even, you know whether that's friends family like colleagues those conversations have changed or changing in in real time and that's really amazing to
1: see for someone watching or listening who is maybe at the beginning of this journey with people in their lives who might react the way our friends did five years ago six years ago like that doesn't really happen or that's that's not real is there anything you can go back now having led so much of this conversation and say here's some ways to like start open that conversation just
0: talk and listen to the women or people of marginalized genders in your life who are having these experiences and just, you know, put your thoughts and your differences or your, any of the kind of preconceptions that you have or prejudgments that you have to one side and just ask some questions, like literally just ask some questions and just listen to somebody else's lived experience. And I don't always think that we have to frame violence against women for like men or other people to care about it in like proximity to the women in their lives i think we always have to we should always have to do that to make people care about it like you know imagine if that was your mother or imagine if that was your daughter or imagine if that was your you know grandma or something it's it's a shame that we always have to resort to like putting yourself in that person's shoes or thinking about it in the context of your own family
1: member it's what you said about like the your mother, your grandmother, your sister—it's also like, why can't we just care about people because they're human? Yeah, that's the ideal
0: goal—is just to be like, we should care about this issue because it's an issue that affects a really, really, you know, profound, shocking amount of people. Um, we shouldn't have to always frame it in proximity to the women in your life for you to care about it. But unfortunately, we still that still does seem to be one of the only ways that, like, we can get men to care about this issue. You know, you have the Prime Minister, of is the way that they talk about violence against women and girls in this country is still something that even, like, very established public figures still use as an example to try to get people to care about it. And, yeah, we're still not, not there yet. There's a lot of progress that still needs to happen in that in that area.
1: it's also interesting because you answered the question of which I love you answered about what people who don't experience this can do and I'm wondering about if someone who is a woman or of a marginalized gender and is has this experience and wants to open up a conversation there's I have at least felt the same instinct you did if like let me prove that it's actually happening right and then how yeah. do you prove it how much how much do you have to prove it and you kind of get to, I have gotten stuck in the like what do you need me to show you that it's real? Right? Yeah. like it's real. <laughs> I'm telling you it's real, and and it's it's bad because I feel it's bad. It's bad because I feel unsafe, and that should be enough. Like, why do we have mm-hmm. to go into what what the lines for safety are? Also, like, ninety seven percent of women in this country have experienced some sort of sexual harassment. Like, it's the yeah. numbers are there, but for someone who is trying to open up the conversation with the men in their life, for example, do you have anything that looking back at how you have opened up the conversation in this country to some extent and online, things that you now know about, like, how to start the conversation with people? It's, it's a tricky one
0: um, because I found that you have to approach these conversations with as much openness um, as possible. And it's, it's why I've used art, basically, as a medium to do that. I found that really helpful because it's been the go between where I have used photography as a tool to communicate that this is an issue that is affecting a lot of people and the fact that I have tried not to be the mouthpiece of that so directly I think has helped people listen because the stories in the photographs sort of speak for themselves and that's kind of the point because you're just having that direct communication with the survivor or that direct communication with the story and that's always why I like to photograph uh, survivors you know standing there in the place that it happened looking directly down the camera looking directly into your eyes so you can't really argue with their story you know it's their lived experience they're coming to you with this with this story you know you're just you're just listening you know and you can't you could obviously disagree with it if you. If you could try it, you could not believe it. But what what would be the point of that be? You know, no one's coming forward with with stories that didn't happen to them. Do you know what I mean? So I think it's like you're you're almost faced with with facts. It's quite quite hard to just look the other way and say, oh well, that's that's not a problem because these are very real stories happening to very real people. And that's also why I wanted to frame them in relatable places you know these are stories happening on the bus on the tube on busy streets recognizable locations all around the world and I wanted to frame these these stories and these these survivors standing in those places and so you could you know see someone and be like oh I recognize that bus stop or oh that's the Bakerloo line (laughs) or you know all of these places that we we go past and we interact with every single day they're real places that people experience harassment constantly and I think just that helps communicate the message without me having to go out there and, you know, with a microphone or <laughs> a megaphone and shout to people until they listen. I'm kind of getting the, while well, trying to get the, the stories to speak for themselves, yeah.
1: It's the thing you always hear of like, putting it, I have always heard and believed at least like, there's. it's very hard to disagree with like a human face, a human story, right? Like once you know yeah. someone... And then you are adding also the place factor, which is so compelling. Of like, this is a real place as well. This is not. Yeah. Because it often in mainstream narratives, broader narratives, it's like these things happen in dark alleyways where. Yeah. And and then we go down the route of like, what were they wearing? Yeah. The, the all the different kinds of victim blaming, but you're kind of just like laying it all bare and saying, "This is just life."
0: Yeah, exactly. And these these are stories. And experiences that happen to absolutely anybody, absolutely anywhere, any time of day, wearing anything um, in the most recognisable public places, surrounded by people sometimes, you know, not just not alone and not putting themselves in dangerous positions, just going about your everyday life, going to school in the morning, you know, just completely normal everyday scenarios. And it's not extraordinary. It's very, very ordinary. And it shouldn't be. And that was the thing that people mostly cis men at the time, and still now were not like putting two and
1: two together with them. Do you think that in the last few years that you've been doing this, the kinds of responses you get from people have changed in any way? Yes, and no, <laughs> I think
0: whenever I think the conversation has changed greatly. In a sense that I think people understand that there is a very sort of a larger breadth of experiences that people can have that can amount um, and that can be classified as you know sexual har- harassment and sexual assault. I think people's understanding of what sexual harassment is is improved, <laughs> but I also think that there is a there's still quite a long way to go with people connecting the dots of how other forms of violence are linked and how things like catcalls and street harassment and sexual harassment can be connected to sexual assault, that can be connected to rape, that can be connected to femicide, you know, that can be connected to um yeah, the whole pyramid of sexual violence. And I think it's a criticism that I receive sometimes. And a criticism that you often hear online, um, in the discourse around this issue is people say, oh well, you know, there's way more serious things that you should be worrying about. Or what about this or what about that? And you know what about kind of domestic abuse and what about rape it's like these things are all connected and that's that's like the final bit of the puzzle I think and that's that's yeah that's what we still have to work on I think with connecting those dots
1: it's also like it doesn't have to I'm just going to keep saying it doesn't have to be the worst thing to not be bad right which I said earlier as well which it sometimes feels like that's the, the gaslighting almost that comes in if well, it's not rape. Whenever anything happened to you at
0: school or on the way to and from school or on nights out, it was always, oh, well, it could have been worse, or at least it wasn't that. And you were sort of like counting your lucky stars that it was only someone slapping your ass instead of, you know, sexually assaulting you. And actually, that is sexual assault, but no one would have told, like, no one told you at the time. And so you've got this, like, generation of women now who are, like, looking back on the things that have happened to them in their youth and are just being re-traumatized because no one told them at the time that those things weren't okay. And sometimes I like wake up in the middle of the night and I'm like, Oh my God, that was so bad. But like at the time people would just, you know, laugh and, and, and be like, Oh, well, you know, just banter or bad sex or whatever. <laughs> like all of the things people used to excuse
1: and brush off actually quite like traumatic experiences. I definitely remember a lot at uni the the conversations around me of the it's just banter and like it's just just some we're having a laugh like why are you why are you being so serious why yeah. are you taking yourself so seriously yeah exactly and it's 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 always that immediate response and that
0: immediate sort of um backlash against something if you speak out in the moment, whether it was with friends or bullies or people at school or if it's a stranger on the bus, you know if you then reject that person's advances or don't act like you're, you know, completely overwhelmed and flattered to have been given that attention, then it can turn into being, oh, well, you're so dramatic or well, you're ugly anyway, you know, and you're this and you're that and all of the, you know, explicities come out and it's just because you haven't reacted the appropriate way to the attention, the unwanted attention, I should say, that you have received in that moment. And that's why it's always terrifying as well in those situations because you never know what to do because it could always escalate and I always get people who ask me like oh well, what should you do you know and that's a question that happens all the time whether it's from other women or from men or from anybody who just says oh well if you do get harassed in the street or in public or you know in a busy crowded area what do you do and that's the hardest question because there's no there's no answer. There's no right answer to that, you know, because you can't be like, well, you must, in this moment, do all of these things because it's so hard to to judge how that could go. And knowing from experience and from the experience of many, many other victims in those kind of scenarios, if you do speak out or advocate for yourself, which obviously you should be able to do, it can go south very quickly and be an extremely dangerous situation
1: suddenly and if it's happened it's like the thing has already the act has already happened right so you're responding to it yeah so you're responding in a situation where you don't feel safe to begin with exactly exactly and you probably don't have the power in
0: that scenario either which is another thing to think about and also at the end of the day when you're in those scenarios any advice that you've been given will just all go out the window because you're in fight or flight or fawn or freeze mode you know you're yeah. going to be you're not going to be thinking straight and
1: why should you because you've been put in this situation that you didn't ask for. Has your response changed where like I've seen that sometimes you record things um, do you feel the instinct now to pull out the camera and start recording do you feel for me that like like what you're describing my instinct is becoming visible right like how do I disappear from the situation as quickly as possible and there is so much courage in taking out a camera and saying like I'm I'm here yeah. and I'm, I'm taking action whatever way I can mm-hmm. and I'm curious about whether that's something that has been born out of like the work you do with Cherub love where and as a photographer you're constantly thinking about that mm-hmm. is that something you do regularly is it the moments when you feel safe to do it how has your relationship with existing in this unsafe world shifted? <laughs> it's
0: a funny one because I think because it's my, you know, interacting with this subject matter is in a way my day job, which is kind of depressing in a lot of ways. But also it's, you know, it, it's it's I love I love what I do. I wouldn't do it if I didn't. And there's still a great you know, it's not a problem that's solved, so <laughs> I'm not gonna be like throwing in the towel anytime soon. Um, but I think because of that, people just assume that you've got a way of dealing with these things when they happen, um, or they think that, you know, if anyone's gonna know what to do, it's gonna be cheer up love. Like if anyone knows how to respond to a situation at the time and like, no matter how many experiences of sexual harassment you have, and no matter how many hundreds of thousands of experiences that you hear, you are never going to be any more prepared for that moment when it happens to you. And it, it will happen to you. These things don't suddenly stop happening to you the older that you get or wherever you move in the world, you know, they will happen. and You can't predict them because it's not about what you wear and it's not about where you go and it's not about what you do. And because there's that unpredictability of these experiences, in a sense, you are never really prepared for when they do happen. And because of that, I'm still always. I still always feel like I'm on the back foot, even though I feel like I should be the first one to be like, "That's harassment!" <laughs> like to turn around and have this like quick fire comeback to say in the moment and to feel really like you know like I've got this
1: this You're entire like speech prepared, yeah.
0: but I don't because no matter how much I can talk about it in my bedroom or rant about it on social media if it happens to you in the moment I'm I'm still terrified like I it's still really scary because these things like no matter how frequently they happen to you like you've become desensitized to it sure or you can try to ignore it as much as you you can but it's still scary and I still get scared and so you know my reactions in those scenarios are not perfect and they're not planned and it's all to do with you know like how safe you feel and like if you're with somebody else at the time or like if i'm traveling alone and i experience something i'm trying to make myself as invisible as possible you know (laughs) if i'm with a big group of my friends and we witness something or we experience something completely different story so it's just yeah it just really depends on the scenario and it's never nice like or you never feel prepared and you never really know You know how you should respond if you're on the receiving end of it if you're not on the receiving end of it and you are being a bystander then that is a lot like that's a different story you know if you're if you're with somebody else and you feel safe and empowered to do so like you should always like and i always say something or like try to not you know get involved with the perpetrator because you should never do that but make sure the victim is okay or just like ask a distracting question or just you know get my friends to go over and be like Hey, where are you going? What's next? what you know, just Yeah. De escalate. But if you're on the receiving end of it or if you're traveling alone,
1: yeah, different different story. At the end of the day, you're just a human and Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we shouldn't live in a world where any of us are prepared for this because it also means that we're like constantly in Yeah, fight and flight yeah, mode. And like you're not feeling safe at any point if if you are constantly prepared and also yeah and it's a funny one as well because it's like it's sort of
0: both at the same time it's like you're never prepared but you also you you also are kind of always Always, expecting it (laughs) so it's like you you're you're never kind of like 100% ready but you're 100% aware of all of the things that could go wrong you know whether that's like planning your route home or like the having your keys in your hands, or having, phoning a friend, or just getting an Uber, you know. So it's, it's like, you're never fully prepared, but you're always totally,
1: painfully aware of your probability. So, yeah, the best of both worlds. <laughs> never fully prepared, and maybe always trying to safeguard. Yeah. That feels like, how do you... Exhausting. <laughs> is, right? Being a human. Um, how do you, like, I feel this to some extent, and my work is nowhere near as immersed as yours is of you're like sitting with this right like this is also your day job as you said you're I imagine at least from what you shared, your share of Love like the DMs are full of stories you've provided a space where so many people can come and feel not alone mm-hmm. and feel seen and share their stories but that also means that you're consuming all of that how do you feel safe in the world <laughs> do you feel safe in the world I shouldn't assume like how do you like how are you getting through it because Most of us experience it and go home and put on the TV and watch something else, or go to work and have to like do whatever our job is, right? Mm -hmm. And there's a you get to step out of the the mindset a little bit Mm -hmm. and be distracted at least.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's it is very all-consuming sometimes, and I don't. Sometimes I don't even particularly realize it because I've become so used to interacting with this kind of subject matter and these experiences on a daily basis all the time that it's not that I become desensitized to it because it's always horrible no matter what you you read you're never going to be like just another story (laughs) it's always it's always horrible um and it always affects me but I think I don't know I'm just getting a lot more gray hairs (laughs) no I think it's just I it's, it's I only really realize that I'm not switching off when I'm when I really have to switch off because it takes me so much longer to kind of uh, sort of decompress. And if I do go on holiday or go, you know, like for Christmas or just like see my family or whatever, it will be five days in. And the first five days I'll still be just like doing all my stuff, going on social media, still in work mode as well. And by maybe the last day I'm like, Oh, god silence or so, like i'll be able to switch off for like two days and then it's the getting back into it again after maybe having like two days of being able to switch off which is really tough because then you're like how did i do that how do i how did i do this or how, how am i constantly like this but then it's really weird because as soon as i go back into the sort of flow state of being online and responding to all kinds of horrible things happening in the world all the time you kind of just like go into this mode where you tune everything else out and you're just like, I don't know, in the flow of it. And I only ever really noticed that like, maybe that's not healthy is whenever you have a break and it takes ages to switch off. But I, I am a lot stricter now than I used to be with my time and how I interact with social media and how I sort of, yeah, like respond to all of the trauma and stories and stuff that I get on the platform. Because also it's just me running it, I, I have in the past have had volunteers like help, um, especially after there was it was like COVID and then the Sarah Everard thing happened, which was horrible in London in, two years ago. And then it was just like violence against women was just the sort of headline of every single newspaper and it was just everyone was talking about it again and it was really, really intense. And after that, I was just like, I'm going to burn out. Like, I can't. It was a really horrible time and I was just very close to. Burnout in a big way, and then I would kind of very tentatively ask, "I like, would anybody be interested in like helping with you know sort of deal with submissions and, and stories and resharing them on the platform?" And I was really overwhelmed with the amount of people that said that they would love to, and that really helped me get through that year because if I hadn't had the help of you know people sharing stories and stuff, then I I, I would have had to I don't know what would have happened because burnout was very much on the table <laughs> at that time so that's that was a great help um but yeah that's kind of like transient now now it's just me again running the platform um but kind of have like helping hands every now and again and i'm much more strict with with myself and my working hours and stuff and it's just like i treat it like a job yeah because it is my job like nine to five my sort of social media hours um and much more sort of yeah, much more strict with how I interact with that kind of stuff. And if I'm not in a good place, then I'm just not gonna not gonna look at it. And if I am and I feel like mentally like yeah strong enough, then I'll do as much as I can. <laughs> so it's it's balance, but it's it's tough as well,
1: you know. I think it's also what you said about there are so many people who raise their hands to help out, which doesn't surprise me in the slightest. But it's, you don't just have a platform, you have a community, right? And yeah. it's one of the loveliest parts of something like Cheer Up Love existing in my mind is like, there's so much that is awful about social media. There's so much that is awful about like opening up our phones and seeing the horror of the world also reflected on the tiny screens that consume us. Yeah, And then it's like, okay, well, we're not alone at least. And there's space for people to come together. Yeah. Um, and I'm curious about, has it always just been like the, do you have to, I'm guessing the answer is yes, but also ask the question, do you have to deal with all the awful trolls that most people do? Like, Or is the community kind of a self-selecting, lovely community of humans where it is a, like a closed off, walled off garden that you've managed to create? <laughs> Yeah,
0: it's, you know, I think that's also part of the reason why I've been able to keep it up for so long is because actually, it's the community itself, you know, is, is incredibly supportive and incredibly joyful. And the, the the kind of message that I'm trying to help spread is, is one of positivity and empowerment and not just like doom and gloom all the time, because of, I think if it was was that, because, you know, the reality of which it is, you know, not nice (laughs) The subject matter especially if you ever meet someone and tell them like what you do they're like oh that sounds pretty heavy (laughs) and you're like no actually it's it's really colorful and joyful and and fun (laughs) but it is and I wouldn't be able to keep doing what I do and I wouldn't be able to do it now if I hadn't made it about art and about you know vibrancy and color and joy and positivity and all of these things that I use to kind of carry the, the message that I'm trying to get out there um, because otherwise I just, it would be depressing <laughs> <laughs> because it's, you know, as the subject matter and the stories in themselves and the experience, like, yeah, they're not great. And so there, I, I, I had to find a way of making it joyful. Otherwise I wouldn't be able to keep doing it. And that's also, you know, the community that, the community that I've built and the community that like we have now in Share Up Love is, is amazing you know and it's it's incredibly incredibly supportive and there's so much solidarity there and that outweighs you know all of the trolling and there's not there's like way more good vibes than bad (laughs) like there's obviously rogue trolls all the time and people disagreeing with what you have to say loudly and violently constantly (laughs) Um, and especially now with things going viral in a way that I didn't really used to, sometimes you can just put something out there and, and suddenly everybody will have an opinion on it and you're like, wow, this is, they're not just putting things out there for the people that follow you anymore, it's yeah. suddenly like you put something out there and yeah, lots of people tuning in <laughs> with, their, with their opinions, um, but I, I just, I just, I never read the comments on those, I just have a rule which is just like, unless obviously it's, yeah. you know, you have to switch them off because it's like yeah. terrible, Um I just, If there's bad vibes, I'm just like no, I'm not getting involved in that.
1: That's a great lesson for everyone, I think, because we all have the bad vibes sometimes in our comments, and it's nice to just be able to step away or say this is this is not for me. This is not serving me right now. No, or just like just not productive. Like any
0: conversation you have in the comment section of a video or something, I'm just like you're not is no one not going to win this argument (laughs) with this person? The same with someone who's like coming in your DMs, like I'm not going to have a chat with you in my DMs if you're coming with this opinion that is so in opposition to everything that I like hold dear and also not coming from a place of like wanting to actually learn and engage and have a positive conversation, you're just here to cause you know trouble
1: then you're being it's just like deleted immediately. (laughs) It makes me think of the how we started this conversation about how for you starting the platform was in some ways to prove to people that to prove to men that this was happening. And at least in my experience the people who slide into your DMs to to start the fight are trying to say, like, let me prove you wrong. Yeah. And there's there's no listening, there's there's no curiosity, Mm -hmm. right? It's just a let me prove you wrong.
0: Exactly. And that's I guess that's kind of where i should say that the project began as me trying to prove my male friends wrong but very quickly that that took on the whole project took on a different meaning that was sort of my initial spark and the initial push to to get it off the ground but as as soon as i pushed through that barrier of knowing that you know we can raise awareness and we can educate people and there's a lot of value in that I realized that there was something which had even more value and that was actually empowering survivors and giving people a voice to sort of have the narrative over their own stories and take back control of their own stories and creating that like positive community. That was actually way more important than just trying to prove men wrong and actually was a much more productive way of like kind of carrying that message out there. Because if it's coming from a place of like, positivity people are much more willing to
1: like learn and engage and it it makes me think of where like you talk a lot about which i love how this being art and joyful and colorful carries it for you and like brings some lightness into it given how like heavy your work is emotionally and how much you're seeing in the like the, the worst of what it is to be a person of a marginalized gender constantly. What like what gives you hope? I think it's it's it's
0: the the sort of it's the community, it's the people that I have met through doing this work, it's the art that I have created, and it's the art that I've seen other people create and respond to in times like when you're in times when you have gone through something awful or somebody else has gone through something awful and you're hearing all of these experiences but managing to turn it into something positive and something that can affect change in a way that is you know creative and and joyful and all of these things like that gives me hope because you're inherently utilizing that trauma and you're turning it into something that's going to make you that's going to make your message like stronger rather than just kind of being I don't know, having to suppress it and internalize it and get on with your life and kind of brush it off and just pretend that these things don't happen, being able to use these things but like partner them with creativity as well and kind of turn it into something empowering, that that gives me hope, you know?
1: And if someone is watching, listening to this and it's like, Yeah, Eliza, like I'm with you, I wanna create something. No idea how to start where to start. <laughs> I I'm I have no ideas for a photo project which would, in any way, center the survivors of trauma or whatever it is. Right, like whatever the someone is trying to work through or find hope in. Mm-hmm. How have you? What has like been your starting point? Have you always been the kind of person who knows exactly what you want to make and you have the whole plan when you get started? Is it? How are you getting to the place <laughs> of like this is This is what I want to make, or this is? Is it just like I'm a blind creator until I find my way into, fumble my way into like the thing. Yeah, I think it's,
0: I mean, not at all, really. I didn't, I, my path into my career now was all over the place. And I didn't, if you'd have told me six or seven years ago about what I do now and say, this is, this is what your job is going to be, I'd say, absolutely not. (laughs) There's no way that's happening. My trajectory, my career trajectory was all over the place. I went to art school but I did illustration and then I went into set design and then I went into yeah I mean there was just so many different I mean not completely dissimilar things it was always a creative path Um, but it was never set in stone like it was a bit of a happy accident that I even started the photo project but what I would say to people if they feel Passionate about something, they really want to do something, but they just like don't really know what that is and how to channel channel their interests and channel their passions. What really helped me was narrowing down the thing that I cared about the most because I kind of sort of came into this space, um, the space of you know feminism, not even really knowing anything about it, but just knowing that I felt a certain way, <laughs> and I came at it with a lot of personal experience, and it was pretty much like at the beginning predominantly experience-led and that was my passion and that was my drive because you know i i wasn't really schooled on feminism at all i had no understanding of, of of how any of these things connected or like intersectionality and or you know how other forms of oppression were connected as well i just you know did not come at it from that kind of point of academia at all Um, And it's been a total kind of learning curve the entire time that I've been doing this work. But the way that I came into it was through using a passion of mine, and that was art and that was photography. And photography was very much a passion project of mine at the time because I I, I am self-taught. I never studied it. I just picked up a camera and just thought this is something that I want to I want to learn and it feels like the, the kind of the best medium to use to try and communicate what I'm trying to communicate. So I just sort of taught myself as I started the project. So what I would say to people was think about like, think about and narrow down the thing that you care about the most, you know, whether it's like the, the huge social issue of, you know, inequality or climate change or, you know, the feminism or you know anti-racism, like huge topics overwhelming, very hard to know where to begin. Um, so I would say, firstly, try and sort of narrow down what is this particular thing out of this very, very broad issue or issues that you care about the most, because I think it's very hard to affect change when you're trying to talk about everything all the time. And obviously, we should care about everything. And we should talk about everything as much as we can all the time. But at the end of the day, I think be effective you do need to narrow it down a little bit and that's what helped me was just like focusing my passion so I would say focus your passion as like much as you can and sort of boil it down to you know the real nitty gritties and that can just be like you know an experience you had an experience someone else had something that you've seen on the news that bothered you or something an article that you read like whatever it is just you know draw a little chart, draw a diagram and figure out what that particular thing is that really grinds your gears. (laughs) Um, and then marry that with a passion or interest of yours, whether that's writing, you know, find out what your, um, what your kind of, I suppose your skill is, and then marry those two things together. So yeah, writing, drawing, painting, like interviewing people whatever that is use and like hone in on a skill that you have or learn a new one you know it doesn't have to be like a skill that you already have it could be something that you want to pick up and something that you want to do and so you know you should never have a or feel that there is a barrier there that you can't do something because you don't know how to do it because everyone has to start somewhere and so i would say pick a skill pick a topic marry those yeah.
1: things, things to get and just that the magic happens have fun <laughs> it's also nice that you you like i i appreciate that you you emphasize the fact that like we can't do everything because i at least when i was starting out felt this like deep sense of guilt yeah about not doing i care about everything and if i'm not if i'm only picking one thing that means i'm like picking one thing over all the other things yeah but there's so many of us right and that's the, yeah. For me, that was the turning point. Like, oh, right, there's so many of us. And if I pick one thing and you pick one thing and the next person picks one thing and there's... we we'll get, get everything yeah. covered. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I, I think it's also quite...
0: It's more difficult, or at least it feels more difficult now in sort of today's world with the fact that we can... We do have access to all kinds of topics and we can be informed and educate ourselves on all sorts of things and keep up with what's happening in the world and, and post about it and post our our outrage and our frustration and you know be engaged with topics that we should very much be you know cluing ourselves up about and being engaged in but i think that doesn't always have to translate to your what your sort of like life purpose right. has to be as well i think you very much can be engaged and informed in all these things without having to make all of them your mission, because at the end of the day, you're not going to be applying yourself even like, it's
1: impossible (laughs) to apply yourself to everything. So I really liked what you said right there about um, the phrase you used, of like a life purpose or a mission. And I'm thinking about how I would answer the question. I'm not sure I have an answer, but I'm still going to ask you, do you have something where you feel like it's very clear this is my mission? I would say
0: yes and no. I think my my interest and my my passion for the topic of ending, you know, sexual violence and ending gender inequality, like that's never going to change and I'm always going to be passionate about fighting for those issues and s- striving for those causes that I'm truly truly passionate in. But I also think that in the w- things that I do in my life, I think those are sort of always changing and ever changing and I actually love the fluidity of being able to work in different mediums and try different projects and collaborate with different people and I think it's really important to have values and to have things that you're working towards but you shouldn't ever feel that you're like constricted to only having to do one thing and like be in this box (laughs) almost like cage that you've created for yourself and you sort of have to you know be a martyr for that one thing because obviously I don't think that's like incredibly healthy (laughs) in the long run, Um, but kind of I guess how I've how I navigate that is being able to try out new things all the time. So the way that my platform has evolved has changed. You know, it's constantly evolving. It's constantly changing, and I'm kind of constantly doing new things to keep myself interested and engaged (laughs) in the subject matter. Um, You know, I started a podcast. I started a newsletter. I started curating exhibitions, and I'm. So always working in different ways just to sort of keep the passion alive because it's I never want that to die because I'm always going to be interested and incredibly, um, yeah, uh, what's the word? Impassioned about fighting for these things that I believe in. But
1: I think that the way that you do that can be can change and should change. So it's uh, the how keeps changing, but not the. Not the deeper what that you're. Trying I guess to. so. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. what' well, it's, it's nice also to like remember that, right? Like that we're not, we shouldn't ever feel like we have to box ourselves in. Yeah. Or that, I would say, even the, the mission like, the, it might, we, you might get to a point in your life where the thing that feels like the driving force changes. <laughs> yeah that's okay
0: exactly and that does
1: happen you know the reasons that i'm doing my work now
0: are very different from the reasons to when i started them it's a, it's a constant evolving process and the things that i'm rallying against now are different to the things that i was rallying against a couple of years ago and there's always going to be new challenges that you face and it's just kind of rising to those challenges and like navigating them in different ways and you know being angry about different things like there's constantly things like new sexist or misogynistic hurdles that i'm encountering um that i didn't even know about like a few years ago that i'm now suddenly like well i've got to be angry about that now so that's great
1: (laughs) it's also like we keep learning right where it feels sometimes like everyone else just knows more, to me at least, than I do. Oh yeah, me too, constantly.
0: I've always felt like I've been playing catch-up and since day one I felt like I've been playing catch-up because I, you know, I hadn't read all the books that everybody else had read and hadn't watched all the same programmes or had the same references or, you know, knew the same famous, uh, like, feminist theorists and, and things like that and so I felt like I was always five steps behind, and also like a bit of an imposter, even though that's a very cliche
1: thing to say as a woman. <laughs> but, but it's real. It's, yeah. Yeah, I, I very much relate. And I've done a lot of like the nodding and smiling when people mention names and like, yes, yes, of course. So if this, yes, of course, let me write down their name and go Google when I get home. Exactly. What are you angry about right now? Um,
0: the main thing I'm angry about is this this, this trend, this growing kind of trend of this backlash to me too, everyone saying that it's sort of gone too far and that actually, you know, boys are the real victims now. And there's this whole like obviously rise of like Andrew Tate and a huge actual rise, like a brand new wave of misogyny that's come seemingly from like nowhere, even though it's very clear where it's come from. It's sort of been bubbling under the surface for a while, but is now suddenly incredibly present. And you have that going on at the same time as this like narrative in the media and a narrative um, in in a lot of schools as well that actually, you know, Me Too has gone too far and it's like, <laughs> how is this happening? Um but it's like constant it's constant, you know, whenever anything happens, there's always a pushback, there's always a backlash. But I feel like that backlash is, is being felt especially kind of f- it feels pretty fierce at the moment and it feels like a, a brand new set of challenges. Um, and so, yeah, it's a bit, it's making me angry and it's also making me feel a little bit scared and a bit daunted and a bit sort of like, where do we go from, from here? But I also feel like it's, these things happen, happen in waves, right? They happen in waves, yeah, there's always going to be backlash, there's always going to be backlash, but there's, that's the thing where it's like, the, the work is never done, so you, really, you feel like you get to a point where you're like, yes, everyone is on board and everyone is listening. And then it's like, ah, oh, we're back.
1: <laughs> yeah. Hopefully the backlash is like, before, after the backlash, we push forward. It's you just like an right? ebbing yeah. tide. Yeah. <laughs> and eventually, 50 years down, we'll look back and say, look at how much the world is doing. Or as we started in this conversation, right, like five years ago, it was so different. Well, exactly. Yeah. And I'm I'm seeing that as like a small win, even
0: though now you'll kind of read the newspaper and look around and be like, everything is terrible. Actually, when you think about it, things are very different in a lot of ways, uh, not necessarily different and perfect, but different to where they were five years ago. And I'm just hoping that this kind of what feels like a bit of a terrifying period that we are in now of like the rise of misogyny and it, it sort of yeah misogynistic influences like people like Andrew Tate I feels like I'm just hoping it's not something that's going to get worse and worse and worse and worse but just a sort of temporary pushback right
1: that's what I'm hoping at least (laughs) leads me to my final question in in the face of all the awful um, and maintaining hope in it we call this series Little Revolution so for people who want to be hopeful who want to keep using their voices even when it feels like you're in the minority even when it feels like you're not safe or if you love someone or you see people around you and you want to support them in doing that what tiny things can people do because change doesn't happen change happens in large sweeps but also it happens in the small actions right it happens in speaking out it happens in all of us sharing our stories like people do with share of love so for a younger version of you or me who's at the at the beginning of their journey, what would you tell them, like what little, rev- little revolutions can they be making?
0: I think just just showing up for each other, showing up for your friends and, you know, standing with your friends, whether that's them, like being there for somebody when they are telling you something, whether that's showing up to somebody's, you know, to somebody's event that they've put on, whether that's like doing a favour for a friend who's asked you if they would if you would be in their, like, free art show or whatever that is, I don't know. I think just showing up and like supporting your friends, um, maybe people you don't even know, you know, kind of making those connections, like being brave and, and being bold and reaching out to people as well, making like those like tiny little connections. I think things like that, they give me hope and I find them, they like warm my heart. They make me feel inspired and even now, you know, I'm six years into doing what I do and six years into Cheer Up Love, but I'm constantly sort of, yeah, sort of completely overwhelmed with the people that I meet and the connections that I make and those really sort of small things that, they actually are incredibly impactful. And so I just think, yeah, showing up for your friends, supporting your friends, listening to your friends, it's a small act, but it can go a long way.
1: It's also meaningful because it feels doable right it doesn't feel like we have to all go out and do big things we can we can do like the, the most human of things which is just like show up for our people thank you so much for listening and thank you to eliza for this wonderful conversation check out our show notes to learn more about eliza her work and where you can follow her